Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 94 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from OSCON here in Portland, Oregon, and we're here today with Mark Collier, COO of the OpenStack Foundation, correct? That's right. And Wayne Walls, Cloud Strategist at Rackspace. You've got a cool title, dude. <laughs> Thanks. I've got to pick it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here to really to talk a, a little bit today about... OpenStack uh, really turning three, and, and OpenStack as a foundation and a project versus more of a product. Mm-hmm. And so, so first of all, Mark, how are you doing? And kind of give a little introduction. Sure. I'm, I'm doing great. So as you mentioned, Aaron, I'm the Chief Operating Officer at the OpenStack Foundation. And um, you know, prior to that, was involved with OpenStack from the early days, kind of get, helping to get it off the ground with a bunch of other folks uh, throughout the industry and um, you know the foundation really only launched back in September so less than a year ago and um, at that time we were kind of blown away by the fact that we had uh, over 5,000 members had already signed up and were interested in joining and now less than a year later we've almost doubled that we're over 10,000 members which is really incredible to me and we have members in over 120 countries and I think if there's one thing that's just um, gets me more excited than any other data point, it's that, you know, because we've just had a bunch of celebrations all around the world from dozens of different um, user groups. And uh, we'll be showing some of the, putting some of those photos online soon so you can see all the celebrations. But when you see people in, you know, in Indonesia and just all over the, the world that are excited and pouring their heart and soul into OpenStack and, and they're members of the foundation, that's pretty exciting in you know, less than a year from just the launch of, of that as an independent entity. Awesome. And, and Wayne, so you don't work on the Rackspace Hybrid Cloud team. <laughs> or do you? And tell me what your deal is, what man. What would you say what you do, do you, here? What do you do, Wayne. man? Justify your existence. Go. Yeah, no, so, um, so, so we have customers, we have engineers. And, uh, so I, I want to say I don't work for the hybrid cloud team. Uh-huh. Um, I'm an extension of it okay. um, through a different mechanism. So about three years ago, I was on a team at Rackspace that kind of revolutionized how people consume cloud. And it's when we released a product called Rack Connect. And this Rackconnect product kind of allowed you to tie dedicated hosting into your cloud. And that was kind of, you know, the first step of really getting customers to start using cloud. So now we have another team that is purely building hybrid cloud functionality. So we're talking about public clouds, we're talking about private clouds, we're talking about bare metal, we're talking about dedicated, and using all those as one system. So that's a pure product team that is building that product. And you know what I'm doing now is the deployment and the ability to consume OpenStack has become so much easier through you know what Red Hat is doing with RDO, what Marantis is doing with Fuel, even what Rackspace is doing with Rackspace Private Cloud. You know it's it's easier to deploy these clouds, but the problem that we've seen is once these clouds are deployed. How do you actually consume? What do you do with them? How do you build on them? How do you maximize their value? And it's not just OpenStack. A lot of these principles actually are the same across all clouds. So my job is to go out, talk with the community, figure out what they're doing, what they're missing, and how they want to consume cloud. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about project versus product. Mm -hmm. Um, So tonight is... I believe the uh, quote-unquote official birthday party 
for for OpenStack, the third birthday party here tonight. Um, and you know, we're seeing a lot of you know, there's been a lot. Of, I think I, I think we've done it here on the podcast before. Some things about the Grizzly release and Havana is going to be the next release, but. Mm-hmm. Mark, tell us a little bit about because <clears throat> the found, like you said, the foundation is less than a year old. So, how did it get started? How did it kind of evolve? A little bit of you know behind the scenes of you know <laughs> sure. how does something like this get going? Yeah, well, I think that you know one of the interesting things about um, pulling together the foundation, um, and, and we spent you know probably at least nine months, if not more, really kind of putting it together in terms of the bylaws and and getting the initial backers and, and, and figuring out the right structure. Um, you know, I think that one of the interesting things that we were trying to do was actually not change a lot. It was actually right. trying to sort of transplant something that, you know, we had a, we had a dedicated team within Rackspace that was managing, uh, you know, these community events, the summits, and helping to grow OpenStack uh, from a community investment perspective. And, you know, we weren't really trying to... Um, break that model in terms of the way the technical governance worked. You know, we're really just trying to transplant that into a new legal entity. So a lot of people sort of ask, you know, what you know, what are you trying to fix? And it wasn't really about fixing something. It was about sort of taking OpenStack to its logical home, legally speaking, in terms of this nonprofit that could be um, uh, people from all across the, the world could, could get involved and become members, and we, we ended up um, working with a number of different people from companies that uh, signed a, a letter of intent, mm-hmm. effectively that we that we published on the wiki. So everything we did was based on, you know, uh, an open process, putting drafts of the bylaws on on the wiki, and having mailing list discussions, having meetups, and we ultimately formed a drafting committee to kind of finalize a lot of those details. So you know, I don't know if that's interesting to people. You, you said you want to hear the behind the scenes. Sure. Um, you know, I can't say every meeting hammering out bylaws is the most exciting, but it is really important work. And so that's why we took the time, I think, to do it right and, and really preserve a lot of those, those important values of the OpenStack community, in, in particular the technical meritocracy. So the idea that technical decisions are made by technical people that are the, the leaders in the community from a technical perspective. And, you know, each of the, the sub-projects within OpenStack is led by a PTL or Project Technical Lead, which are elected by the contributors to those projects. So all those things we've we've been doing for many years, and really just kind of um, codified that in the bylaws um, when we when we put it all together. Sure. And so, <clears throat> before I ask the question, I'll just say you know, probably two, well, three ways a project could go. One is the project is kind of released out there and. Nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> it just kind of goes away into the ether, right? Yeah. Um, another one is it just kind of moves along and everything's cool. But then, you know, kind of a third one, and I think that would probably this category is, is it, you've seen explosive growth. And when you see growth, how do you manage something like that in mm-hmm. both the project and the product of... How do you ramp up fast enough? How do you, you know, meet sure. the demands fast enough? Well, I think there, there's a couple of, of key um, uh, decisions or, or actions that, that were taken over the last couple of years to kind of keep up with the growth. Um, one is that from a project governance perspective with those, those project technical leads, you know, we're able to kind of uh, take the Nova, the OpenStack Compute Project, and kind of start to break it apart so we can bring in more leaders from um, from throughout the community to kind of break the, the work down and so that we have these kind of 
smaller teams. They're still quite large by open source project standards, but um, you know you have uh, people that are elected that have domain expertise in storage, for example. So the block storage project was a capability that was built into to Nova, the compute project, early on, and then as it became um, you know, more sophisticated, it made sense to break that out into the, the, the sender project. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. then, you know, folks that, that really had a, a domain expertise in block storage came in to, to start running that. So that was part of it. So you, you now have a lot more PTLs, mm-hmm. and that kind of distributes the workload, and you have these, you know, the, the folks that have the most expertise making those, those decisions. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that, that's really important is that we've continued to have our summits every six months. And so while, of course, things go on every single day in IRC and the mailing list and, and all kinds of online forums, it's really important to be together in person twice a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of other, um, uh, I guess, communities and companies you know, have like annual events. And that's kind of the, the industry standard. But I think that um, meeting twice a year, although it's it certainly... Um, takes a lot of time and resources to, to manage, and you know now we're going to Hong Kong, which is a big big endeavor um, in November. Um, you know it, it's it's worth it, and it's really important to get together face to face. You know, and it does keep um, any sort of uh, you know, big disagreements or um, you know uh, big uh, I guess uh, feuds from boiling up too big because when you're looking at someone across the table from you, you know you have a couple of pints tends to kind of. Uh, wash away anything that you might have uh, gotten in terms of getting w- riled up online. Sure. So those are two things I think are have helped. Yeah, right. And from a community standpoint, one thing that I felt has been like really excellent for OpenStack has been the evolution <clears throat> um, of how the technical committee has actually been put together. So early on, there was a project policy board who was responsible for the technical governance of OpenStack. And then as the foundation was actually built, um, it turned into a technical committee, which was a board of directors and a technical committee, which was project technical leads plus elected community members. So even though you weren't directly leading a project, if you were seen as a valuable contributor in the community, you were able to be part of these conversations and help drive the you know, overall strategy of the particular project. And with you know the six month cadence, you've actually seen that the technical community is actually going under like a like a version 2.0. Oh, excuse me, uh, version 2.0 refresh where you know you're seeing more projects come in you're seeing more project technical leads and instead of them just being you know directly assigned seats is actually now 13 community <coughs> community elected individuals that are pretty much brought up so you kind of have the best of breed the technical meritocracy piece of it really rings true because you know at any point in time if you feel that the person leading the project or really making a lot of waves isn't driving the right direction, you're completely free to vote them out and move someone into the spot that you have more faith in overall. Gotcha. And so let me ask you this, um, because I keep, you know, I keep saying project, 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 and that's been kind of a focus here, but I think it kind of, this is something that's been on my mind for a while now, but I think it kind of really blew up over a couple different blogs and, and Twitter stuff recently of this concept of project mm-hmm. versus product versus a service mm-hmm. versus a service provider. There's almost four different areas, right? Sure. And an OpenStack almost gets, in some ways, associated with all four of them at the exact same time. Yeah. It's a communication challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think, because it's yeah. like AWS versus OpenStack or right. um, you know, all these other different things in the community of 
you know, how do you do something like that? Because at the end of the day, it is it does mean multiple things to multiple people. Yeah, I think in particular with open source, um, especially something as broadly applicable as cloud computing, there are so many different companies um, that that need that type of capability in one form or another. Whether they're going to build their own private cloud or they're going to you know consume um, services from a public cloud. In some cases, maybe they, they don't even realize that, that that's powered by OpenStack or what, what's powering it. So it, it, it's so broadly applicable that it's, it's really hard to, to just put it in one neat box. And unfortunately, you know, that's just kind of, I guess, human instinct to to want to say, you know, this versus that. And, I want to put make, a label on it. Inside. Yeah, and, and then, the, and then the, the draw to put a label on it seems to be to immediately compare it with something else and then say there's a war and, you know, people love the, the kind of tribalism and, and you know. And I guess it, it, it sells newspapers if newspapers are still around. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it, it certainly drives page views. Um, yes. And that's, that's fine. But, uh, but it isn't as, it, you know, it's never quite as simple as the headlines make, make it out to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have a really neat perspective on that at Rackspace. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, you know, being one of the co founders of OpenStack, a lot of people immediately make the assumption that every single thing that happens in OpenStack, um, Rackspace immediately productizes and makes available to consume, and that's not the case. So it's a it's a conversation that happens way more often than I really prefer. But you know, when it comes down to it, you know, there's a new release of OpenStack that comes out. Um, there's a ton of press around it. People go and read about all the new awesome features, and they immediately want to start using those features. You know, if they're a, a customer of Rackspace or if they're a consumer of OpenStack anywhere. And the fact of the matter is, these projects they are so bleeding edge. You still have to actually go in and figure out how do you actually productize this and turn it into something that multiple people can use. So that's an area where you start seeing a lot of questions of like, all right, well, we have multiple versions of OpenStack. How do they play nice with each other? How do we productize these? What's the best way to use it? What's the wrong way to use it? What do we expose? What do we not expose? So that conversation does come up a lot. But you know, as Mark mentioned earlier, with the modularization of OpenStack, you know, you don't have to be a domain expert in all things OpenStack to be a contributor or to help productize something. You know, if you're a storage guy, well, you're going to be interested in probably what Swift or what Cinder is doing. You know, if you're a networking guy, you're going to be interested in what you know, Neutron is doing, um, etc. So. I think when you start looking at that, it really helps bring maturity to OpenStack and stability across anyone that wants to take it and actually build a platform cloud out of it. Yeah, and if, if you think about it, you know, this is not really new territory. If you look at Android, for example, you know, there's always a lot of interest and excitement when there's a new version of Android announced. But typically, you can't buy a phone running that version for, you know, three or six months. And, you know, that that kind of breaks the mold of, of what um, people, I guess, expect, but it's just... It's it's just kind of the way open source works. It's an open book, and you know that that has all these incredible advantages in terms of anyone that wants to get involved in, in building the software can, and there's no secrets, and everybody knows what's going on. But if you're much further downstream and you're wanting to implement it, you're wanting to put it in production, then some of that can be, appear like noise, or you're getting a little information that you're not used to uh, from the sort of traditional package proprietary software kind of model of hey, I'm announcing this, here are all the new features, you can buy it today. And so, you know, I think those are just some side effects of how open source works, but it's absolutely the the best model for innovation. And I think the open development model, which is part of the four opens that we really believe in within the OpenStack community, open source is only one of those. Open development, open design, and open community are the other three. 
And open design is a lot about what happens at the summits where there are discussions about what, what should come in the next feature. And, you know, it, because OpenStack has so much interest these days, we certainly will have reporters that might come to the summits, and that's, that's fine, you know, but um, if you hear a discussion in a room that, hey, maybe we should have this feature in six months, even if it does come in six months, then it's productized a few months later, you know, it, it gets a little bit, um, it can be a source of confusion for people, but we, we do try to, you know, make it as clear as we can from the foundation perspective when we're communicating about, about where the direction of the project is going. Sure, sure. Now, <clears throat> so you, we, we've mentioned it a couple times, but so the next summit is actually in Hong Kong. Yes, very and excited so, about that. So tell me a little bit about how that came to be and, and the decision to go global and, and why Hong Kong. Sure. So, um, yes, it's November 5th through the 8th, so I'll get my, my plug in here. <laughs> Openstack.org slash summit is always the right link. It'll always point to the latest summit. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's very important to us. We made a decision pretty early on that there would be a summit um, outside the U.S., um, you know, in the not-too-distant future, and we started to look for, for opportunities to host that in, in either Europe or Asia. And when we really uh, – we found a, an amazing venue in Hong Kong that can hold a tremendous number of people. We expect this to be by far the largest summit we've ever had. And if you look at the excitement and the users and, and the contributions coming from throughout Asia, and, you know, China in particular, uh, I think that that was one of the things that made Hong Kong really appealing. In fact – um, there are more visitors that come to the OpenStack.org website from Beijing than any other city in the world, which is kind of a mind-blowing stat yeah, to me. Is. <laughs> um, and, you know, certainly we considered uh, possibly doing it in mainland China. I think, um, you know, Hong Kong was a little bit uh, easier for us to, to work with um, in terms of, you know, um, our uh, crew that's, that's mostly, mostly based in the U.S. Um, sure. And we you know we worked with some some good firms over in Hong Kong that uh, that are helping us kind of plan that out. But uh, we do expect to have an event in Europe um, next year. Um, and and uh, you know for us, uh, one of the things that was kind of a misnomer. People sometimes think of this as as either a a uh, Asian specific summit, but it's actually a global summit. Right. Or they think this is the first international summit. In reality, they've all they've all been international summits. They've they happen to have been in the U.S. But we've had people from all over the world coming to them. So every summit is is absolutely, you know, the real official global, you know, worldwide summit. We just, you know, pick different locations. And I think there'll be some some definitely unique uh, talks and users that we'll be able to to learn more from um, in Hong Kong. Cool. Now, going back almost pre-foundation mm -hmm. for a second. So you've you've been kind of been there since the start. Um is there anything, like if you took a do-over, <laughs> right? Is there anything that, that going back in time that maybe would be different going forward, lessons learned? Or sure. is there even things that you were like, oh, we nailed this? Yeah. So kind of pros and cons sure. either way, right? Yeah, I, I would give a few examples. I mean, I think um, in terms of, you know, we were just talking about, about going to Hong Kong. I, I think that... Um, the amount of interest and the amount of sort of local grassroots organization that's happened in, you know, over 100 countries um, has been phenomenal. And I think if I could do anything over again, it would be maybe to try to, to pull off a, an international summit sooner or to, to do more to help all those groups. But in, in, uh, in spite of the fact that we, you know, didn't have enough resources to really 
uh, be on an airplane every day and be all over the world. Um, you know, Except for Wayne. Yeah, well, Wayne. We've got, yeah, Wayne is, uh, <laughs> and you've got, uh, you've got Jen Gates, the chief travel officer yep. over there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I'm just so amazed at how much um, passion and contributions are coming from, uh, you know, China and other other areas. So you know, probably I would I would spend more time in, in Asia, you know, in the early days if if I could do it over again. But uh, but yeah, no regrets though. Really, I mean, I, I think the the results are pretty pretty phenomenal. And um, in terms of you know key decisions, I, I look at a couple of things as being really critical to the you know kind of getting off on the right foot. One was the choice of the Apache license. Um, so we looked at all the different you know popular licenses out there. And actually, um, uh, Adam Jacob over at, at OpsCode, the chef um, founder, you know, he was one of the f- first people that I met with who, who basically said, look, forget all these other options. Apache 2.0 is the way to go. Uh, you know, I've looked at it all. Here's the reasons. And you know, I was convinced, and, and we went that direction. I think the reason why that's critical is it, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it really builds the biggest tent. It's just a very permissible license. It's very uh, business-friendly. And I think, you know, related uh, to that, in terms of early decisions, we decided to go out and court an ecosystem of companies in commercial interest. And we didn't see commercial interest as um, as conflicting with open source values. Mm-hmm. And Apache kind of is that that proof point of that. And there are a lot of, a lot of you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants in terms of the work the Apache Software Foundation has done and the Apache license itself. So... So I think those were some critical investments uh, or decisions, really, that kind of got things off to a strong start as you know, businesses saw that this was a path towards helping customers and, uh, and you know, the license was something that, um, that they understood mm-hmm. so that their team of lawyers didn't have to go spend weeks pouring over some custom license and looking right. for well, every Why little, reinvent the wheel? Gotcha. Well, yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, well, we know, what that's, we know this license. Sure. We, we already spent the weeks pouring over it, you know, yeah. five years ago, and now that's done. Um, and then, you know, I think investing in kind of community building and marketing uh, to generate awareness is not something that a lot of open source projects have done, and we did that early on. And, uh, you know, all those things together kind of gave it a little spark. Nice. And quick note for any new listeners, we did a podcast, oh, gosh, a couple months ago um, called, uh, I want to say Open Source 101, if you go search for the title. Um, but it is actually a pretty much in-depth, detailed dive into a lot of the different uh, definitions and licenses that are out there. So it would certainly help some people if they're wondering why. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's definitely one to go listen to. I'm glad you uh, you're helping people, you know, understand some of the nuances because you know it does matter uh, some of those decisions if you're if you're thinking about opening up a new project. Um, I also think. Sorry, just to no, go ahead. to get on a, a rant here. Go but, ahead, please. You know, the, Stepping on the soapbox. Here he goes. <laughs> you know the, the fact that you know, having users involved and not just vendors is is just absolutely critical. And you know, obviously, um, you know, Rackspace was a is a commercial company, but not a software company in the, in the sense of you know trying to sell software. It was just really looking to build software to consume for other types of services. And then NASA, you know, being a, a government agency. You know, those were people that were, they were, you know, sort of uh, in the traditional sense, people talk about open source being, you know, scratching the itch of, of a developer. In this case, you know, cloud computing is bigger than what somebody, a hobbyist, might want to have on their laptop. So, you know, it tends to be led a little bit more by 
by commercial entities, but but these were you know, two organizations that weren't looking to have an enterprise version or hold back features. They wanted everything to be 100% open, and so they didn't have that. There wasn't an inherent conflict that I think you know sometimes creeps in in other communities where trying to get the the next um, wave of companies to commit. They're, if they're nervous that something's going to be held back or there's a weird conflict of interest, that can hinder that. And I think that not having that uh, was was really helpful early on to get get people to join it. Very cool. Very cool. Now, kind of shift gears completely for a second. So, Wayne, um, you're doing something really cool. Um, <laughs> so, I <you> think so. <laughs> <laughs> there's this um, Unlocked I.O. Roadshow. I, I don't know if I'm calling it what it needs to be called, but That's fair. That's um, fair. I took a look at the slides. And so this is, this is kind of a roadshow. You going quite frankly, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't pushing a product per se. It, it seems to be more about an education on DevOps and kind of these cloud area applications and Absolutely. tools Absolutely. and workload development. Um, so tell everyone a little bit about that project as well in conjunction with everything else. Sure. So one of the great things um, about working at Rackspace is we're very open with everything we do. And one of the reasons that um, this Unlocked Roadshow was actually born was it actually came from an internal training initiative that we had. And what actually happened, um, you know, one of the core values at Rackspace is full transparency. So full transparency, we had customers that were coming to us saying, we want to do X, Y, and Z in the cloud. And we had a handful of people that knew what that meant. Um, and that did not actually provide a fanatical experience for anyone. So we were actually challenged by our leadership to say, all right, well, we need more people that know this stuff. So we've actually built this training initiative called Cloud Savvy. And Cloud Savvy, you know, it's been going on for almost a year now. And we've been tasked to elevate the cloud knowledge of a bunch of Rackspace you know, employees around the world. Well, we had really good results from that. And we realized we're sitting on a gold mine of information. Well, it made no sense to keep it internal, so we went to leadership and said, we want to take this out to the world. We want to give it to the masses. But we don't want to push Rackspace on people because this isn't only about Rackspace. You know, this is about DevOps. This is about cloud, how to consume. A lot of people know what cloud is. They know why cloud is important, but then they don't know how to implement it properly. And that's what Unlocked is really all about. It's the how function of this. So, you know, a lot of people debate... DevOps is a cultural shift. We can't tell you step one through five of how to become a DevOps shop, but what we can do is we can talk to you about the tooling. We, you know, we can talk to you about the methodologies. We can talk to you about monitoring. We can talk to you about automating all of the things. We can do all that for you. That's all stuff that we can help you do. But all we're doing is we're opening the door and allowing you to walk through it. So if you want to be a DevOps shop, if you want to consume cloud a certain way, we're here to help. And once again, kind of going back, this is, this is education that doesn't matter where you are. You know, if you want to use this on Azure, on Google Cloud, on Amazon, on Rackspace Cloud, it doesn't matter. These lessons work across everything. But the real big piece of it is we want to talk about application fit because I think that that's an area that a lot of people are not really fully understanding 
where cloud's really going to help them. You know, you have tons of private cloud providers or public cloud providers in the world, but not every application is built or made for the public cloud. Sometimes you need private cloud. Sometimes you need dedicated servers. Sometimes you need bare metal performance. And it's really finding the right fit. So we want to help anyone, anyone in the world, do that. And the platform that's going to make that truly possible is OpenStack, because you can run OpenStack anywhere. You're going to have public cloud providers. You're going to have private cloud versions of OpenStack. You're going to have the Nova bare metal driver that's going to actually give you true performance you know, of a dedicated box for specialized workloads. So we want to bring all that together and help educate people to really use and consume cloud to the best of their ability. And that's what Unlocked is really all about. Yeah, no, I'm actually glad you, you said that because for me and my personal experiences talking to customers, yeah, it, it all comes down to, to workload and workload profiling and figuring out which ones are a good fit and which ones aren't. And I think too many are under the impression that, all right, I want to take everything, ka-chunk, <laughs> oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. cloudify it. It's, right? it's, it's a full-blown mythology, right? Right. And, and I, but I do think that that is an educational process that – the entire industry is going through and unfortunately it's one of those maybe in hindsight that probably should have happened <laughs> a long time ago Absolutely. right and and i think everyone is kind of what happened is you almost reached that point where it was like hey why isn't this being adopted more or adopted faster and even though everything seems to be going certainly if you're on the inside of it very very fast at times, it's like, well, why isn't it going faster? Right. And right. a lot of times, it's because the customer's just, quite frankly, not understanding. Yep. And exactly actually, what's going, um, you know, going back to one of Mark's points, just about, you know, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? But when you know, OpenStack was first born, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of a team that deployed OpenStack very early on um, at the Bear Design Summit, and there wasn't a lot of brave man. Oh, I was yeah. just going to oh, say, yeah. wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it was. Thanks for sticking with yeah. us. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Tough, um, tough times. Actually, huge shout out to Jordan Rinky. Um, this would not have happened without his brilliant mind. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Brett Pye had asked us to set up a cloud three days before the Build a Cloud Day on Dell prototype gear. All right. <laughs> so as it wasn't already hard enough. Yeah. But what was really good shout out for Brett for uh, believing anything's possible. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. Uh, one of the unsung heroes and OpenStack founders. Absolutely. Um, but there wasn't a lot of user documentation, and that's something that, you know, I'm traditionally an ops guy. So I was very beleaguered when, you know, it came to deploying this the first time. And, um, you know, now you see OpenStack operation manuals. You see hundreds of pages of documentation. Um, I mean... If I was OpenStack Foundation, I would put a lot of money into cloning and gentle. Um, you know, we need like 15 of I can't her. comment on any, any secret projects we may have. Um, but she's done a fantastic job of getting people to that point. And, you know, as I mentioned, now OpenStack, you know, it doesn't take days to deploy anymore. You can have full clouds in anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. I mean... Full operation, you're good to go. But then once again, it gets to the point, all right, well, you have this cloud, you need to deploy something on it. You have these resources, what's next? And, you know, that's where kind of the whole education piece comes full circle is, you know, we want to help people get there, but then do the right thing and the best thing for their business. I understand. I understand. Well, I think that's a great stopping point, guys. So, Mark, Wayne, where can everyone find out more about you or the projects you're working on? Well, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm Sparky Collier on Twitter, which is uh, 
just a hat tip to my late great great Dane, uh, who was actually the original Sparky Collier, but uh, uh-huh. now people uh, have, have tagged me with that. But um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, and then of course, you know, OpenStack.org um, is where we try to get as much information as we can, including about the summits and all that good stuff, and where you can get involved. All right. Uh, once again, follow me on Twitter. I'm just um, at Wayne Walls. Sorry, I don't have such an awesome story, heartfelt story <laughs> like Mark here, but um, that's my that's my Twitter handle. Um, Unlocked.io is where you can find all the roadshow dates for um, where we're going to be going, and if there's any new topics that you want to have covered, we have suggestion pages. So um, if we're not coming to a city near you, please let us know. We'd love to bring the show to you. Um, then also a shout out to our developer blog, um, developer.rackspace.com. Um, it's a new blog that we have built up. You know, We're catering to developers. We're trying to really get the platform solid and have people build on them. So go out there, check them out, and build away. Awesome. All right, everyone. If you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.